Alright, and so uh, I'm preaching out of Hebrews. We've been doing it for the last three, four months. Been for a while. Um, we should be in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, but uh, I actually preached out of Hebrews 10 when I preached back in Hebrews 5, I believe. I was talking about um, Jesus uh, as the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And the author has been talking about for the past five so so chapters about Jesus being like superior to the priesthood and superior to the Levitical um, law and 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 just all of the things that that surround this priestly order that um, was created for the people of God to in some way get connected to God, right? And so back then priests were you know God created this lineage of priests so that the people of God Israelites could somehow have a relationship with God, but it wasn't perfect and it was it was faulty and and not because God was faulty or God wasn't perfect, but it's because man was imperfect, right? Uh, we couldn't you know we every year there would be just millions upon millions of, of sacrifices that had to happen um, to bring some kind of atonement for their sins, and yet it was still not perfect because uh, Hebrews 10 talks about how the bulls, the blood of bulls and goats and rams cannot you know atone for sin. and so he continues that on in um, Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter 9, he talks about Jesus being in the true holy of holies. You know, the tabernacle, there was the holy place where all of the priests would be. There'd be a bunch of them doing their, you know, sacramental things. But then there was a holy of holies, which was the center area where the Ark of the Covenant was. And, you know, um, Hebrews chapter 9 talks about all the things that are inside this holy of holies. And um, and it's where the priest, high priest, the 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 most important priest that's chosen would only enter once a year after having, you know, made all of these sacrifices on behalf of the people and himself. Um, and he would he would go in there and he would try to commune with God uh, and and bring some kind of connection between um, God and the people of Israel. And it says uh, in chapters uh, Hebrews chapter nine, according to this arrangement, verse uh, nine. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So he's saying that even with all of this, you know, as a high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, all they can really deal with are these ceremonial things to just try to get themselves, um, uh, so in some way, like right before God. But um, the writer says in verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, by not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Um, and, and, and then it goes on to chapter 10, talking about Jesus being the, the true, rightful, perfect, atoning sacrifice. And so this is the understanding that, that Jesus is the ultimate and perfect high priest um, and in him is the perfect sacrifice to bring redemption between man and God. 
ultimately bringing the better and the new covenant to his people, which we are under. We're under the new covenant, which I preached about last week. Now today, I want to move ahead because I kind of preached on um, Hebrews chapter 10 in the past, and I don't want to be redundant. And we're going to move on to Hebrews chapter 11. And so now we have 11, 12, 13, 14. We have about four more chapters to go, and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to a different book. But we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and this is the last section of the book, right? It, there's all these comparison that Jesus, this writer, um, this, this anonymous writer, we don't know who it is, is writing about, um, you know, comparing Jesus to all of these things, that Jesus is greater than Moses, he's greater than, you know, the priest, he's greater than and this, the, the covenant, you know, he has a great, better covenant, he's greater, he's a greater high priest, and, um, and, and, and he is the better priest. Um, and then he comes to this section in Hebrews 11, now, and he talks about faith. Um, and, the, and the people of faith. Um, and Hebrews 11.1, 1, and this is probably one of my favorite verses about faith in the Bible. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Later in verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Amen? So faith turns our hope into assurance, right? You know, like, like usually hope is not like guaranteed, right? We hope things, right? Like, you know, like I remember when I was single, I used to think, oh, I hope I get married, but I, I was there was not a certainty in my mind, right? Because, you know, I didn't wasn't that most handsome guy, and you know, like, like I, you know, I had all these issues in my life, and so in my mind, I, I had a hope, right? But it was not a certainty. But then what faith brings into, and the faith that God gives us, it actually turns our hope into a certainty, right? So He turns our hope into assurance and brings us conviction for the things unseen, right? So even if we can't see it, we have a conviction. And that's what faith is, right? Because, you know, I've never, like, physically seen Jesus, right? I, I may have, you know, imagined Him in my mind and in my heart. I've never physically experienced Him, but I have a conviction. And it's a true conviction that I have that He is real, that He is my Savior, and that comes from faith, right? It's a conviction of the things that are unseen. And later in verse 6, it says that, that without this faith, without this, like, like you know, assurance of, of faith, it's impossible to... To please God. And so today I want to talk about what true faith looks, looks like for us believers. Right? What are the implications of our faith? Now, as you listen to this, this may sound familiar to some of you guys because I preached this sermon in some way, shape, or form uh, a few times in the past. It's because it's such an important subject and it's always important and it's always good to have a reminder of the fundamentals. It's always good to be reminded of the things that are the foundations of what we believe and the foundations of what makes us, us, like believers, Christians. Why am I a Christian? How am I a Christian, right? And the foundation of that is faith, right? Like George Michael. Who remembers George Michael, right? Anybody remember George Michael? Am I the only one that's one? Gotta have a faith, faith, yeah. I used to love that song, right? Growing up. Me and my, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but me and my sister used to dance like him. And in front of the TV, right? You know, George Michael when we were young. Yes, and that was pretty good. Um, and so we're going to talk about faith today, right? And so the first thing that I want to point out about our faith is that we have a faith that justifies us, right? You know, uh, we look at the Bible and the person that stands out in the Bible as being just like the main man about, uh, of faith is Abraham, right? You know, we've all 
sang songs. When we, if you grew up in the church, you guys um, sang songs about, you know, Father Abraham had many sons. But we, the, the thing about Abraham that the Bible really points out is that Abraham was a man of faith. And he's a father of faith. Right. Uh, it says in verse uh, Hebrews 11, the chapter that we're talking about today, as you read a little bit forward in verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Right. So he's like, you know, God tells him, hey, I'm, I want you to go there, and, I, and I'm going to give you this. And instead of like, you know, like asking like, oh, should I go or not? He just goes. Of not knowing where he's going, what he's going to do, but he just trusts that God will be there for him. And so he truly was a man of faith. And then Paul talks about Abraham in Romans 4, verse 3. It says, What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And then move down to verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was old, right? I think God gave him the call right in like 70-something. And he had Isaac when he was like in his 90s or something like that. Right? I don't know if my calculations are right, but, but as I studied that part of Scripture, it, that's kind of like the time frame that he was, he was under. Right? He, 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 God gave him this call really late in life. Uh, and then his, and then it says, uh, and Sarah's womb was also dead. His, his wife had been barren all her life, right? They tried to have kids many, many times, and she was barren. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Right? So one of the most important facts, aspects of our faith is that it justifies us. Right? Abraham was justified by faith. It was credited to him as righteousness, right? Righteousness being made right or justified in front of God. And so the Bible says that this is what happens to us in our faith, is that as we have faith in God, we're made righteous before God. The word justification is found 92 times in the New Testament, and it's such an important concept for us to really understand. Justification is like a legal term. And it's a legal standing that we have in relation to God. God is just. He's perfect. He's always up here, right? There's, there's nothing above God. He's, if, like, this is the ceiling, right? There is eternally, He's at the ceiling, right? And then we're eternally down here because we're sinful. We're, we're man. And, and there's this great separation between us. And, and, and we're, God is eternally up there and we are eternally down here. That's just our state in life. That's how we are. We are we are made because of our sins. Now, what justification does is it gives us legal standing with God, right? It 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 doesn't mean it it like you know justification basically says that we're up there with God. We're able to see God face to face, but it doesn't mean that we are innocent of the sin that keeps us down here, right? We are not innocent in a sense. God's justification does not work unless there's true justice. Right. I can't, can't, God can't be like me. Like, 
Like, like if, if you know, like when when my kids come and then you know Ethan says like, oh, it's not fair, right? Like I want justice, and I usually because Ezra is like cute, and I'd be like, oh, I just you know, like I just let him do it. Right? Like I don't punish Ezra. Right? Yeah, like Ethan always comes to me. He's like he's like a snitch sometimes. He's like, you know, like Ezra did this, right? And he's like, you should punish him, and I'd be like, oh, it's okay, you know, like just let him go, right? God can't be like that. He can't sweep sin under the rug because he is God. He is perfect. You can't be like me, right? And so there needs to be justice with God. That means if that's the case, all of us should be headed to hell. We're not innocent in any sense of the word. God can't just sweep sin under the rug. Um, the balance of justice still must be maintained for God to be just. That's where faith comes in. Our faith in the one that paid for our sins, that keeps us down there. And when we put our faith in Him, who took this sin upon his shoulders, the penalty is paid and we are justified. Right? It's like you were convicted of a crime. Right? I haven't, picked, I haven't seen Cole in a while, so Cole is, is, a, is a very respectable man. But say Cole did something really bad and got convicted of a crime and he's sentenced to 20 years in prison. Right? And then instead of going to prison, Cole's father stands up in court and says, you know what, I will take the punishment for my son. And, and all you have, all Cole has to do is acknowledge to the judge, oh yes, he, that's my father. This is my father. And then Cole walks out of the courtroom a free man. Now that can never happen in a real court of law, right? But that's what happened to us inside of God. Our faith is the one, our faith in the one that took our place, took our punishment of death for us, justifies us in God's eyes. And we can't earn this justification. We can't work at it. We can't work for it. We can't buy it. It's not, it's just given through us through faith. That's why faith justifies us. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So our faith justifies us, right? We are justified in our faith in Christ. But a lot of Christians take this passage, like Romans 10, 9 that I just read, and they just focus on the confess with your mouth part. Right? Like, oh, I've confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Um, and they focus on this as just a means of salvation. And, and as an excuse to kind of live just a, whatever life they have, but have some kind of assurance of faith. Um, because I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's my Savior, I'm saved. But what Paul is talking about is just heart and mind, right? But in the Hebrew understanding of heart, right, it's all one thing, right? There is no real separation between mind and heart, right? In the Hebrew, everything is the heart. It's the, it's the central seat of our consciousness and our, and our, our logic and our understanding of the world. It's just, it's just one thing, right? And so he's talking about this, this, this combination of us putting our faith in God, not just in our hearts, in our minds, but even when we confess what we declare, it comes from this transformation that we experience in our heart. It's not just talking about about words, but the position of our mind and heart. Do you truly believe? Do you truly believe? Do you truly have faith? Can you truly say that Jesus is Lord? Is He Lord of your life? And and, and I, I say this in. in to kind of tell you that it's a process, right? You know, for, for a lot of people, they think like, oh, salvation is just one at this moment, right? But a lot of it, a lot of times is a process. And some people are on this process, 
But what you need, what those people need to get to is a place where they will be able to declare one day that, you know, Jesus Christ is my Lord and I have put my faith and trust in Him. And Paul's writing this in a time where if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will persecute it. So it wasn't like, it wasn't in this time where you, like now we can just say it like, oh, Jesus is Lord, right? And I go to the club and I just do whatever. No, Jesus is Lord. Back then, if you said Jesus was Lord, people would persecute you. Paul knows because he's the one that did the persecuting, right? Before he was saved, he was like, man, I am the best Christian persecutor, right? Like I am the, the like I am such a zealous man that I will persecute Christians more than any other, you know, like Jew that's out there. He was out, he's out to get them, right? Put them in prison. He was there when Stephen was stoned, and he like, he like allowed it to happen, right? Because he, he 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 knows, right? And now he's saying, if you confess with your lips, so it's not this easy thing where you can just say, oh, Jesus is Lord. In fact, if you confess with your lips and said that Jesus was Lord, you truly have to mean it in your heart back then, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. It's not this flippant thing where we just say it, you know, you get somebody to say it and they're like, oh, they're saved. No, it's this process where they get to this place in their life where they're like, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. And for me, it was also a process because I went through, I confessed many times when I was young, Jesus is Lord. Every church retreat I went to, Jesus is Lord. I accept you into my heart. But it wasn't until like there was this real moment where I realized, oh, my life has changed because Jesus is in me, right? And, and, and even then, I screwed up, right? And I had to come back to the Lord. I said, God, like, you know, I messed up. You know, like, you know, be in me again. And so, you know, it, it's this, it's this place where our mind and our heart and our spirit all come together to, to declare the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. And so, it is, it is one where, where truly, we have a faith that justifies us, right? As we truly have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? He, it justifies us and makes us righteous before Him. Because the, the faith that the Bible talks about is the faith that truly, that, that, that truly saves is not just about words or about, you know, like expressions, but it's about the heart, the mind, and it's about power. And so it goes to my second point, is that the faith that we have is a faith that is lived out. We live it out. Now, what, what do I mean by this? True faith isn't just a matter of words, but one that produces action in our lives. Right? It, it creates this action, creates the way that we live and, 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 the, and the values that we have and, and the things that we do. And James talks about this, James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And it was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works 
and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, what James is talking about here is not about our actions saving us, right? A lot of people read this and they think, oh, like, you know, the, the Bible is contradicting itself. And in a sense, a lot of times in the Bible, there are contradictions to really bring out, like, for us to really process things and understand things. But what James is, he's not talking about our, 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 our actions and our work saving us. He's not saying that work saves us. The church fathers read the scriptures, including the book of James, and created the doctor of sola fide, which is, in, which it means justification by faith alone, right? And so, you know, he's not saying that, you know, it, it, it's faith, it, it's, it's our works that saves us, but James knows and understands that faith in Christ alone is one that it, it, it saves us, but his point is this, true faith that saves us is not just the confession of faith, but one that transforms us and affects the way we live. Right? If you're gonna have, if you have true faith, it would transform your life. It has to, because true faith can only transform. Tim Keller says it like this in the book Prodigal God, it's a really good book, you guys should read it. If we say, I believe in Jesus, but it doesn't affect the way we live, the answer is not that we need to add hard works to our faith so much as that we haven't truly understood or believed in Jesus at all. Right? So for us, faith is not just a concept we have, but it's action that is lived out. Right? Because we believe, if we truly believe that Jesus is real, that He is who He says He is, and that He's done what He says He's done, and this truth has affected us at the core of who we are, it can't help but affect the way we live our lives. If we truly believe that Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sins, it has to change the way that we look at sin. If we truly believe that He loves us so much then that He would die and take on the punishment for our sins, if we truly believe that, like, like, and we experience His love and His acceptance, it can't help but change the way we love one another. How we interact with one another. I can't help but change how, like how we forgive one another and bear each other's burdens and how we go out and try to get people saved and reach the lost. It's, it, 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 that's what faith produces in us. True faith produces in us like transformation. We don't do it to get saved, but when we have found true faith in Christ, we experience His grace and His mercy and His love and acceptance and we change. Faith in Him produces good works in us. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we have a faith that is walked out. It's, it's worked out. A faith that just, just doesn't sit there, right? It's like you know, oh, I'm, I believe, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and then you just put that on the shelf, and then you just go and you live your life, right? You know, I, I've, I've been a Christian like that before, you know. I, 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 at, at certain points in my life, you know, when I was like in high school, you know, like I would, I would go to church and I'd say, oh, I, I would believe in Jesus at church, but then I would just leave him at church. And when I go to school, I would just do all the same things that my friends did. You know, I would like, you know, curse and, you know, like, and I didn't have any kind of spiritual discipline or anything. I, you know, like be mean to my parents and mean to my sister and all this stuff. And then on Sunday I would go and I'd be like, "Oh, 
take my Christianity off the shelf, put it on for a few hours. Right? That's not the type of faith that Jesus is talking about. It's, it's a faith that is lived out, where, where our faith truly transforms us at the center of who we are. We have a faith that is worked out, that's walked out and lived out. Right? And then, and then my next point, number three, is that we have a faith that is tested. And this is, I believe, very important for the people of God. God tests His people. The greatest example is Abraham and Isaac. The promise of an offspring that's given to Abraham by God. He's like, in his, in his late in his years, his, his wife has been barren all her life, and God Himself comes to Abraham and it's like, Abraham, look at the stars. Look at how billions of stars that are out there. Imagine, like, back then, in Palestine or wherever that wherever he was, like there's no ambient light, there's no electricity. You look up at night and you just see like you know like you see like the stars like like you would like when you're out in space, right? And he says like throw that this this the sky, right? And he number the stars. That's what that's going to be like your offspring, right? And then God tells him, and when he gets this son, right? When he gets this promised son, God tells him to take him on top of a mountain and sacrifice him. And we all know what happened, right? Abraham, he obeys. Tells his son, wakes him up in the morning. Let's go, son. Goes up to the mountain. Ties him up. And he's like, oh, what are you doing, dad? And then he's about to drop the the knife down. And then God says, stop. You know, like there's a ram. Sacrifice the ram. You know, and and non-Christians will hear this and think like, oh, God is a little sick. But, you know, we all have, we, we have a God that actually went through with it, right? He actually killed his son. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. But the one lesson that we have here, one of the lessons that we can learn from this experience with Abraham and Isaac and God is that God tests his people. Deuteronomy 8.2 And you shall remember the way that the Lord your God has led you all these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He's, He's testing you Right to to God test you to know for you to know what's in your heart. Now God doesn't test us because He doesn't know what's in our hearts, right? He's not testing you to say, "Oh, I want to see if like you know uh, AJ will, will will do what I want him to." Do. No, He doesn't do. It. He knows what's in your heart, right? He, God knows everything, right? He He knows everything that's in our hearts, right? It's not what it's about. He tests us so that we will know what's in our hearts. Right? He tests us so that we can know. Right, what we have in our hearts. And God tests our faith. And it's for our benefit. James tells us in James 1, 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God tests our faith so that we can grow and mature. It's like a muscle, right? Mina did um Shine's Tiabata class. She has this class that Shine does on, and you can like it's an app that you can like download, and then she, she, there's like a video of her doing it. And you follow, it. and then Mina did it this week, and then she was just complaining all week. Like, oh my butt! I'm like, oh my legs! Oh my arm! It's like, oh don't touch me! You know, because she like expanded these, like she like put pressure and resistance on these muscles that she usually doesn't do, and then she was just in pain for like four days, right? Well, not four days, like maybe two, three days. But that's kind of like our, how our faith is. Our faith needs to be worked out. God tests our faith. It's the, it's the seasons of testing that you realize 
what's in your heart. And it's in the struggles and the hardship that you're actually growing and maturing in your faith. We think sometimes I'm struggling because I don't have faith or your faith is weak. No, you struggle at times and and you face trials because God sees your faith and He wants you to grow in your faith. That's, that's why James says, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. I love, I, I, I preach this many times because so many people, we forget about this. We, when times are good, we feel like, yes, like, you know, I feel good, right? Things are going my way, right? And then all of a sudden, when things are going bad, we think, oh, I suck. I did something wrong or what have I done? What's wrong with me? Like, ah, but then we don't realize that that testing, that pressure might actually be God saying, hey, I want you to resist and grow and like work out so that you can actually be and grow and mature and be a, a greater version of yourself for you for the next seasons and the next the, the next assignments in your life so that you can be stronger and wiser and more resilient in the next seasons of your life. And some of you guys today are going through some stuff, right? You guys might be facing some depression or financial difficulty. Some of you guys may have doubts about your faith and, and God and, and everything, right? And I want you to take this from me today. Don't see it as weak faith. See it as tested faith. Don't see it as a weakness. See it as you being tested. And Tim Keller says this in his book, Reason for God. A faith without some doubt, and this is an amazing quote, I love this quote, it says, A faith without some doubt is, is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing question of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if he or she has failed over the years to listen to their own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. Now, when I read this, they're like, it's just like, it, like I feel like, oh, like, like you know, God understands me. Like, God understands me because. There are times where I have doubt. I'm a pastor and I'll be like, oh, I have doubt. There are times where I feel like I'm doing everything wrong. There's times where I doubt God's goodness. Sometimes when I got doubt God's love for me, you know, like there are times where I doubt like, you know, that he's on my side. There's, there's moments where I, I there's doubts and, 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 and unbelief like happens all the time in my life. And I realize that, hey, this is God is bringing up these testings in my life for me to just to wrestle with it and to actually grow and mature and find my place in His presence. We were driving back from Ikea yesterday, and Mina mentioned this in the prayer meeting, but we're driving back, we went to Ikea for looking for a dresser and they were out of stock, so we wasted our whole day. I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea, but it's like a whole day project, right? You go there, you get lost. Kids go to the playroom, you eat lunch, and it's just like the whole day's gone, right? So it's like nighttime, we left there like at one o'clock, it's like night, we're coming back. And I mean, and then right now we're in the process of getting me get back to be able to visit America. Some of you guys may not know, but um, I did a lot of stupid things when I used to live in America, and I got de- I got deported and um, out of America back in 2007. So it's been almost 15 years, and my sister-in-law, Mina's sister, is getting married next year, and she wants me to officiate her wedding. So there's a special visa waiver that I can apply for, 
where uh, on like special circumstances I can apply for these visa and they can actually let me visit America. So we're in the process of getting all this done and getting all these letters from friends and you know family members and you know really close people um, of like you know like character reference and all this stuff and we're getting it all together. And then we're driving home and Mina's like, do you have faith that you're going to, do you think that you're going to go, do you have faith that you're going to go back to America, you know, visit America? And at that moment, I, I, I told her, I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I really, I really don't know. Like, cause I don't want to get my hopes up. And, and I, I don't want my, my hopes to get dashed. And so, you know, like, I don't know if I have the faith to do it, right? And then she's like, you have to have faith. Like, the hope is the assurance of things, you know, like, hope for it. And I was like, they were like, I don't, I can't feel it in me, you know, like, cause for me to have, you know how hard it is to get your hopes up into thinking, wanting something so bad and then getting your hopes up and then having it dash, right? But you know what? That's what faith is. At the heart of it, that's what faith is. Faith is having that hope and, and, and trusting in a God that loves you so much that He has to give you what you're hoping for. At the heart of hope, at the heart of faith, that is it. And then, and I, I told Mina, I was like, I don't know. And she's like, you know, I'll have faith for both of us, right? But you know, in these moments that that he's testing my faith, he's testing and stretching my faith. Because right now it's hard for me to believe. It's hard for me to have faith in God in this area of my life. But he's like, you know, I want you to get your hopes up, Caleb. Because as you get your hopes up, hey, say you do, say you don't get it. You've proven to me that you you can trust me. You've shown me that you can put your faith in me, and and you can even face disappointment, and and yet you can still trust me. And 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 I see it as as not as weak faith, but as tested faith. In in the testing, God's plan is for us to know what's in our hearts, and for us to overcome and be that much stronger, wiser, more confident, more resilient. Because we have a faith that is tested. Some of you guys, you know, you guys go through long seasons or everything goes your way, right? And God might just be setting you up, right? You know, it, it, it's in those moments where you need to like cry out to God, like, God, I love you, you know, like, you know, take it easy on me. But you know, God tests, and it says in the book of, it says in the Bible, God disciplines the ones he loves, right? If you see testing, if you see trials, if you see struggles in your life, it just might be that God it's because God loves you and He wants you to break out of just the place that you're in so that you can be greater, you can be stronger for your next assignments and therefore we have a faith that empowers us faith that produces power in us there's a strong correlation between faith and power uh, Matthew 13 53, He did not do many mighty works in works there because of their unbelief, right? Because they have a lack of faith. There was no power. First Corinthians four twenty. But the kingdom of God is a matter of is not a matter of talk but of power. The faith that we have in Christ is an avenue for God's power to be released through our lives. Our faith in Christ has a power to save, power to sanctify us, to transform us. Our faith gives us the power to overcome sin and live a life of obedience to God. Paul says in Romans 8.11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. 
Our faith in Christ has the power to shape us, to protect us, to release in us and through us the supernatural power of God for miracles, signs, and wonders. It's an access point for us to enter into the supernatural power of God. When we truly live our lives of faith depending on God for our strength and our guidance, being led by Him and like obeying Him, I guarantee you, you will experience supernatural power of God in your life. You know, if you asked me a year and a half ago that I'd be full-time in seminary, the, 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 the people that, that have known me for years, like AJ and you know, Ted and all you guys, you guys would have been like, you're being ridiculous, right? That's, that's about like how it was. Right? About a year and a half ago, if I told you that a, a year and a half from now, I'm going to be full-time in seminary, you guys would be like, you're crazy, right? That's exactly what happened. And, and you know what? That might not be a miracle to you guys, but that's a miracle to me, right? The supernatural work of God in my life. And some of you guys will experience real miracles, right? And some of you guys will experience things in your life where you're like, hey, this feels like a miracle to me. The other people might think it's a miracle, but to me it's a miracle. So you might have like some kind of bondage in your life you've been struggling with for years and you think in your mind, I will never get over this. I will never get over this fear. I will never get over this, this kind of like, like, like insecurity that I have. I will never get over the, the, this like complex that I have. And all of a sudden God comes and He just breaks it off of you. And you're like, that's a miracle. And it happens as we release faith in our lives. God brings supernatural power into our lives. Living for Him, living for His kingdom. You know, uh, like me standing before you and preaching. This is a miracle in my life. Right? I haven't been perfect. I haven't been, you know, like always, at, like you know, past God's test. But you know, as I continue to like. You know, like, just put my faith in Him and trust Him. You know, like, I stand before you preaching, and this, me doing this is seriously a miracle. And, 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 and your faith is an access point for you to experience God's supernatural power. It empowers you. Your faith empowers you. As you continue to press in, and as you continue to grow, and, 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 and put your trust and hope and faith in God, He will empower you. There's dunamis power. That word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite in the Greek. That's that kind of power that is at work within you. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Because you have a faith that empowers you. And then I'll close with this, and this is my last point. That we have a faith that's relational. Our faith is in a person. It's not in a concept. It's not in an idea. It's in a person who loves us so dearly and so much that He proved it on the cross. He is alive and He is with us. In the Spirit, we can encounter Him. We can experience His presence. I've experienced His presence. Today, as I was worshiping Him, I experienced His presence as I pray and as I seek Him in His Word. In faith, we have a relationship with a person that loves us and is for us. It has less to do, our faith has less to do with how we feel and how strong we are and has everything to do with the object of our faith, right? Because He is the object of our faith. I love like, when you read the Bible, it doesn't talk about us having big faith, right? No, that's what I love, is that when Jesus describes faith, He doesn't take it like, oh, you guys have big faith! You know, like, you know, your faith has to be, He says, even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you know how small mustard seed is, right? It's like the size of your nunco, right? It's tiny. Nunco is your eye boogers, right? It's like, 
It's so small. It's the smallest. Back then, it was considered the smallest of seed-bearing seeds, right? And, and, and he says, if you have a, the, the size of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Because our faith has nothing to do with how we feel or what we can do or our abilities and everything to do with what who it's in. It's in Jesus Christ. And our faith is in Jesus. And it's special. It's, it's life-giving. Because He's real, right? Jesus is real. He is alive. And He loves us. And He's seated in heaven. And He's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. And that's why our faith is the one faith that's found in this world that's different from all the other faiths. No other faith... It, it, on this earth is, is, a, is a God who loved people so much that He came down from heaven to not only be one of us, but die and take on the sin so that He can claim us as His own. No other faith has a God that says, I'll do everything so that you can gain everything. Right? Our faith is in Jesus who said, I'm going to do everything I can so that I can have a relationship with you. And our faith is based on that, our relationship with Him, who loves us so much, He died for us, and and He can't wait to come back and be with us, right? That's 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 the amazing thing about what we believe and what our faith is in. It's not in this like 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 belief system of or the or a bunch of rules that we need to follow or a bunch of things that we need to do to to be right. It has only to do with a person. If we know Him, we're in. If we truly know Him, if we have a relationship with Him, He'll change us and He'll make us. It's all based upon His righteousness and what He has done. If we know Him, we're in. And He says, He says, I want to know you. He looks down at me and He's like, Caleb, I want to know you more. And sometimes I'm like, no, I want to play, I want to play PS5. He's like, no, I want to know you. And I'm like, no. And then He's like, and, but then as I start to know Him more, and as I start to open my heart more, He's like, I like, like, He transforms my life. Our faith is in Jesus. He said, I am going to do everything so I can have a relationship with you. You know, one of the most rewarding demonstrations of faith is found in, in this world is in, in, the, in the concept of marriage, right? Marriage is all about faith. If you can't really have, if you can't have faith with your spouse, if you can't trust your spouse, like, marriage is, cannot work, right? You have to trust one another. And marriage is rewarding and life-giving because there is trust. If there was not trust in marriage, it would suck. And you know what? There's people that are in marriages that don't trust each other. And you know what? It sucks for them, right? It's like, it, it's, it, it, some people say, I'd rather be not married, right? And they just like get divorced. And then they enter into another marriage where, with somebody that they can't trust. And then they, they're on that, on that cycle, right? But the reason why marriage is so, like such so rewarding to people's lives is because there is that mutual trust. I completely trust my wife, right? And she completely trusts me, right? In most things, right? right. I, I like, like I, I, you know, there's, a, there, I, I, I can't trust her to like maybe like not close the refrigerator door all the way, right? Or I can't trust her to you know make sure that she, I'll pack her this lunch and. And then, and she'll forget it. She's done that many times where I, I wake up in the morning, I pack her this lunch, and it's, it's great lunch, and then she forgets it. And I'll be like, ah, you know? But then, but then beyond those like superficial things, I trust my wife completely, right? I trust her with my life. I trust her, you know, with my kids. I trust her with everything. And then, and she trusts me. 
And you need to have that in order for that marriage to be meaningful and, and, and rewarding and life-giving. But you know what? Marriage was modeled after our relationship with Jesus. Our faith in Him, which brings us into this love relationship with Him. There's a wedding banquet that will happen when Jesus returns. And it's the one wedding that all weddings were based upon. We think that, you know, God like came up with this understanding of like this wedding of Jesus and His bride after marriage that humans created. No. What was first originated in the, in the heart of God was this ultimate union of Jesus to His people, to His church. This beautiful wedding, this feast where Jesus is able to claim His bride because Jesus trusts His church and the church trusts in Jesus. And there's this mutual edification and this blessing that happens as we commit our lives and, and we put our lives in Christ Jesus. I want to close with this verse, Hebrews 11.6, and I read it earlier. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And, he, and, and, and if we earnestly seek Him, you guys, He does, He will reward us. He rewards us with eternity. He rewards us with life. He rewards us with love and grace and mercy. I pray and hope that whatever we face and whatever we may come our way in our lives, whatever we may experience, that we will have a faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, a faith that will look to Him and a faith that will, where we will earnestly seek Him and that we will be able to experience the fullness of what God has for us as we put our faith and trust in Him. Let's all stand up and let's, let's close with prayer. Father God, we just thank You and we give You all of the worship. We give You glory. We give You honor. We give You praise. And we, we say that our faith in You makes us different than any other person that's on this earth. Our faith in you transforms us. Our faith in you empowers us. Our faith in you justifies us. Our faith in you brings us into a true relationship. Our faith in you, Lord, is, is, is everything. And we pray, Lord, that as we live our lives, as we continue to, to, to live this life that we have on this earth, may it be foundationally rooted in our faith in you. May we not be dictated by the whims of this world and, and, and the trends of this world and the way that this world is going. But may we be transformed and may we be directed and may we, may we be led by what the, our faith in you does to us and in us and through us, God. May we be transformed as we put our trust in you and you come alive in us. The power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit comes alive in us, Lord. May we be people of faith. May we be like Abraham, who was accredited to him as righteousness. Lord, in the same way you say that our faith is accredited to us as righteousness, that you justify us and you make us right and you make us pure by us trusting you. May we be people of trust. May we be people of faith. We give you all of the glory, the honor, and the praise. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have faith. Lord, we thank you for faith. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.